Would you just do that with me right now? Father, we just respond this morning to your presence. We thank you for your nurture, your care. Thank you for your anointing that breaks every yoke. And today, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you, speak to us. Show yourself strong on our behalf. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Praise the Lord. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure you got your notepad. Make sure you get your Bible. We're about to talk about something that's very, very important. I'm going to take the next 20, 25 minutes and talk to you about a passage of Scripture. I think most everybody that's watching today would know a little bit about that it's in the Bible. But I want to unpack it in a way that I believe will speak to you. You know, this morning when I got up and I began to go pray, the Holy Spirit just began to stir inside of me this whole deal about I'm raising up a different kind of people. The tide's changing in the local church. It's changing in the body of Christ worldwide. God is doing some things to shift people, to shift environments, to shift circumstances. And one of the things I'm convinced of is that this is a day that's not been like any other day that we've done literally in digital church. And amazingly, as I got ready to to leave my house this morning, I got two texts that were prophetic words to me. One of them said, today, Bishop, the Lord's going to amplify your voice in ways like never before, and Papa's going to speak. The God of heaven's going to speak into people's lives. And then I got a word from somebody that I don't don't get a text from very often on Sundays at all. And they just said, you're carrying an unusual anointing for today. Make sure you deliver what God's given you. And I recognized that I was preparing. I told my wife last night, I said, Kathy, I struggled over this word more than anything that I've preached probably in the last couple of months because it seems like it maybe doesn't fit, but yet I believe it does fit. Because what I recognize is that we have built our lives on things that may not be the best things. So I decided to do a scientific survey I thought, well, let me do a scientific survey to help with some of my research. And so I went to Facebook and I went to social media and I actually put out on various platforms just a question. I said, if you today could pray and ask God to do anything in your life, what would you ask him for? And got incredible responses. And actually, I just want everybody that responded, if you're watching, listen, I want you to know I prayed over every response of people that sent them. But here's what I had felt in my prayer time, and it became true on that request. And it wasn't a setup. It was just a revelation of what I would do or anybody would do. When I got all those requests in, 80% of those requests, if I could ask God for anything today, 80% of what people would ask for is that God would change my circumstances. Change a relationship, change a job, change a financial need. Because watch this closely. We are madly in love with God changing our circumstances, but we are not necessarily in love with God changing us. And I just wonder in the middle of the circumstance, maybe the circumstance is just a a laboratory for God to do some work in us. So what is it that God wants to do in me in the middle of the circumstance? There's a book in the New Testament 
It's one of the shorter books in the New Testament. It's written by a man named the Apostle Paul. It's called the book of Philippians. Philippians is a place that Paul had actually, Philippi, he had actually been imprisoned there. And he goes, now he's, when he writes this book, he's in prison, but he's in prison in Rome. And he's writing back to the church in Philippi. He's actually never going to leave that prison. And from there, he, he really goes on from there to his death. But he writes to them, and the book of Philippians is only 104 verses long. But out of 104 verses, 19 times, that means that 20% of the things he talks about in four chapters is this. He keeps saying this word, rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice, and again I say rejoice, 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 rejoice. And it's one of the favorite books of people of reading the New Testament because it's a book that is very edifying, it's very encouraging, it's, it's motivational, it lifts people up out of despair because we recognize in that context not, not only is Paul in prison, but Paul is actually chained. Like if, if Jay was a guard, he would be chained. Day and night, he would be chained to a Roman guard so that he not only was imprisoned, but he wasn't even never by himself. He was locked down to somebody who made sure he stayed locked down. So while chained to a guard, with his other hand, he would write these words. And I want to draw your attention to chapter 1 today. So if you got your Bible, just open it, or your cell phone, or whatever you're watching. In, in Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to speak on one verse, but I'm going to give you the context in every direction of what it talks about. In Philippians chapter 1, verse number 21, Paul makes this outlandish statement that I want to challenge you today. This is probably not the verse you thought about this week, but I want to challenge you that you put this in the foundation of your life. And here's what he said in verse number 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I'm going to say it one more time. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. As a Christian, not as a religious person, but as a Christian. Because there's a lot of religious people in the world. And there's a lot of religious people that attach themselves to certain Christian doctrine or thought, but aren't necessarily Christ followers. There's a whole lot of difference between being a devoted Christ follower and being somebody who follows Christian principles. Because the reality is, is we don't follow a principle, we follow a person. That person is who we're being conformed to. That person taught us the ways of his kingdom. But really, we're being conformed to the image of a person. That's Jesus. So the book of Philippians, Paul is in prison, and he's, he's later in the years of his, apostle, of his apostleship, but he's taking them back to basics. He's saying, you want to be a really devout Christian? You want to really know how to enjoy your life and get the most out of it? Then let me take you back to the basics. And in the book, he repeats some things that, are, that need to be understood. We sang it today. First thing he says is God's always good. His grace and his peace are multiplied to you on a regular daily basis. And they're multiplied to you through the person of Jesus Christ. 
Listen, it doesn't even matter what your week was like. Grace and peace has been multiplied to you through Jesus. He's just saying God's good. And the other thing he says as a basic in Philippians is this, is that dark times don't always mean you did something wrong. I'm going to say that one more time. Dark times or difficult days does not always mean you did something wrong. It does not mean that, watch this, somehow you got in a bad place and the devil got an advantage. It could be that God is ready to do something in your life that you could not find out any other way. In fact, I don't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but the Bible teaches that God led the children of Israel into the wilderness. God led Jesus by the Holy Ghost into the wilderness. Could it it be that really the Spirit of God is trying to lead us into a place of discovery? Maybe this is not just a place of quarantine. Maybe it's really a place of discovery that the Spirit of God has been working to lead us in. And Paul's saying, you know what? I'm in a prison today, but I'm here by my own request. In other words, they would release me when I was back being tried by the, by the, by, by the religious guard, by the religious judges. They'd have released me, but I made an appeal to Rome. I wanted to go to Rome. Here's why. Because I wanted to take the gospel to the most difficult places on the ends of the earth. So therefore, I even made an appeal as a Roman citizen to come to Rome. So he's there in a dark place, not because of something he did wrong. I want to say something to people. Listen, everybody out there, please listen to me. For everybody out there that wants to say America and the world has come under this virus because of some wrong that we did and it's God's means of judgment. Can I tell you something? If God wanted to judge us and wipe us out, he wouldn't have to send a virus. He'd just boom snap his fingers and millions of people would be gone this is not the result of God trying to get people and get even and get revenge this really is a moment in time when the world has taken a pause and the people that hear the voice of God recognize that God's in the middle of this somewhere wanting to work in me something that he's never worked before I will not waste my trial so Paul writes from the Philippian, to the Philippians from a Roman jail, and here's what he says. I'm going to tell you just three things real quickly. If you want to know how to win, here's the first thing he said. Don't miss this. He said, I want you to rejoice, and the reason and the basis of your rejoicing is because God will complete what he started. Somebody need to hear that today. You thought, boy, this is in the road. I'm never, that dream's never going to come to pass. That business is never going to succeed. I've been under this pressure. I don't know if we'll ever make it through this. I don't know if we'll ever recover from this. I got a prophetic word for you today. God will finish what he started. Viruses don't bring it to an end. Economic collapse doesn't bring it to an end. Lost jobs don't bring it to an end. He said, I will complete what I began in you. But watch this. If you don't have the mindset that God's going to be a finisher in your life, then watch this, watch this. If you don't have a mindset that God's a finisher, then you'll develop a mindset that all you want to do is just get through this. You'll be living to when you can go to the mall again. I just, God, help me just get through this. I don't want to just get through this. 
I wrote in my journal, the Lord asked me this question. He said, who will you be when you come out? What person will you be when you come out of this? What about me will you know you didn't know going in? I'm challenging you today. Who will you be? I tell you what God's doing. God's continuing to complete what he began. Because here's what God wants to do in your life and my life. He doesn't want you to survive. He wants you to thrive. Say that with me. God doesn't want me to survive. He wants me to thrive. Of everybody in your neighborhood, you're not just going to be a survivor. You're going to be a thriver. Do you know what the word thrive means? The word thrive doesn't mean that you, you know, have boogie on jet skis all weekend long. That's not thriving. There's a lot of people boogieing on jet skis on the weekend at the lake that are not really thriving. There's, there's people that, that are at the end of an alcohol bottle or at the end of a, a, a pill who are, the way they're thriving is they're trying to survive what they cannot kill on the inside of them. That's not thriving. The word thrive means to grow to grow vigorously when a plant thrives it grows vigorously when somebody thrives how many of you know what that means is that they make progress in spite of the circumstance so God wants you to thrive and the way you thrive is by developing a mindset that says God's going to finish what he started inside of me thriving is centered on what Christ did for me it's what he has begun in me you know some of the things that fell off of us in these six weeks? Things we started in us. I never have any problem with God ending things that other people tried to put on me. But I really struggle when God brings an end to something I put on myself and it falls off me. God's not committed to completing what you thought of but he is committed to completing what he began. And what he began, began at the cross. It began with redemption. He began to redeem us, put us back together, take our brokenness and put us back into a place of hope. Am I helping anybody? Let me, let me tell you what redemption did. I'm going, it's in three tenses. It's in three directions. Because we, we say this term, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. Really? What does that mean? It literally means this. Uh, biblically, it means this. I was saved. How many of you know God didn't decide to save you the minute you prayed? Let that sink in. God didn't make a choice about you the day you prayed a prayer. God made a choice about you before the world ever began. The Bible says actually Jesus was the Son of God crucified, slain, before the world was ever created. So that means you can never use your mess as an excuse for why you can't be what God created you to be because God fixed you before you was ever broke. So I was saved. In the economy of God and in God's mind, my salvation was taken care of. My redemption was paid for before I ever got here. When I, when I prayed the prayer, all I did was acknowledge what he'd done. So I was saved. Watch this. I am saved in the present tense. I am saved day. That means this. That means I can live with, with some sense of security. I can live with certainty. I can live and not be controlled by fear. Oh, I'm going to say that again. I can live and not be controlled by fear. I am saved. 
But not only was I saved and I am saved, but watch this, I am being saved. That means he's continually working in me things I don't even know he's working. Because there are things in me I don't even know he, he wants to do. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Just because I don't know where I'm going doesn't mean he's not leading me. Just because I don't have it all figured out doesn't mean he's not completing what he began. Maybe this is really not a crisis. Maybe this is a classroom. Let me think about that for a minute. How many of you know that storms do not come to make boats strong? Storms only reveal how strong boats are. Hmm. All teachers know this. When you give a test, tests are never for the teacher to know. Because I can guarantee you almost every teacher in every classroom, when they pass a test out, they can tell you who's going to pass and who's going to fail. Tests are for self-illumination. It's for you to find out how much you know. Do you think God tests you to find out what's in you? He knows the hairs on your head. God doesn't test us to find out what's in us. He knows what's in our heart. The Bible says he knows my heart even more than I know my heart. But why do I get in the middle of a test? Why do I feel pressure? Why do I get under a trial? Because every test is self-illuminating. Because I get in the middle of the test and say, you know what? I thought I knew all that. But the truth of the matter is I built my life on faulty foundations. And that really doesn't work the way I thought it worked. And in the middle of this test, I found out something about me I didn't know before. And now God can begin to work. Because watch this. God can never fix what I won't admit. So if I don't think I need him, he can't fix it. So here's what Paul said. Paul said, my chains, this trial that I'm in, has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. In other words, watch this. This thing I'm going through has made everything I was born for become more effective. Think about that. This pressure we're going through has made everything we were born for more effective. He said it's affected the guards, it's affected the other believers, and it's affected my own life. I want to challenge somebody that, please, please pay attention right now. Listen to me closely. I want you, you're going to have to give a lot of hearts right here. Listen, don't waste these trials. Don't waste them by becoming bitter. Well, you don't know what I lost. Don't get bitter about it. Don't waste it by abandoning your faith and just determining, you know what, I'm mad at God. I'm going to choose my own way coming out of here. Do you realize there are a lot of people that have joined Facebook services over the last six weeks, but the real test will be when this is over, whether or not they keep following after God. Because you can't just appease yourself and believe that you're going to be in peace. You come to peace when you actually live for the one who gave his life for you. Don't nurse hurts in this time. Sure, there are people that let you down. Rather than doing all those things, invest in it. This trial has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel.
Second thing he said is this. I'm almost done. Stay with me. Watch this. Second thing he said was this. He said, I want you to rejoice even when your life throws things at you you can't control. Oh, no, 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 don't leave this site. I want all you control freaks. Don't you leave right now. You stay right here because I want to talk to you. Because I'm preaching out of my own experience. There's nobody likes to control his world more than Tony Miller. I know there's people sitting on the stage. They want to say amen, but they work here. Jay didn't say anything because I'm his student. He doesn't want to look bad as a teacher. But watch this. The truth of the matter is we try to control everything. In fact, even when it comes to things like social media, we have image management. We try to control what people think about us, how they perceive us. We kind of try to control what's going to happen, where everybody's going to be. How many parents have tried to control your children, their safety? You don't want them to ever have any difficulty. You want to make sure they avoid every problem. Why? Because if we're honest, all of us at the root of our life, the flesh wants to believe it's in control. So every time life throws me something of uncertainty, I become very frustrated, turmoil, anxiety, even fear. But the greatest reality that you and I can come to is this, watch this, is that we don't orchestrate nor do we control our lives. I don't control my life. I trust the one who does. When I don't have to control my life, I can rejoice. When I can, when I can say my life is hid in Christ, I will trust in the Lord with all of my heart and I'll lean not to my own understanding, but in all of my ways, I will acknowledge him and he will direct my path. I just wonder how many people today are feeling like somebody is manipulating my life. I got, listen, all the conspiracy theories, some of them may be true, they may not be true. It doesn't even really matter. Somebody said, what, a foreign nation did this, the government did this, scientists at the center of disease control has done this. They're all manipulating me and I feel like they're controlling my life. Listen, the truth of the matter is Paul in this passage where he says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you know the, the context around that? They had just come told him that there were a bunch of other apostles who found out he was in prison and they were happy about it. Because watch this, Paul had the biggest platform. He was the number one speaker in the ancient world. He was the most sought after apostle. And now that he's off the stage, there's a lot of market share that could be gained. If you don't believe that, listen, all the people that are jealous of you, they're not, they don't really, they don't really hate you. They just want what you got. They want your stage. They want whatever. And if you try to control it and say, I can protect, I'll self-protect this. I'll self-protect my position. I'll self-protect my notoriety. I'll self-protect all the things that I, I think I built. Listen, I'm on this stage today. I didn't build this. I, God built this. If God hadn't given this to me, I couldn't have it. But guess what? I can't protect it. If somebody goes and wants to tear it apart, I can't help that. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, there are people out there preaching. They're apostles. 
And he said they're preaching out of envy and strife and out of competition. And his friends were sort of saying, Paul, you need to get those guys. Do you know what Paul said? Paul said they have the right message. They just got a wrong motive. And there are some people that have the right message and the right motive. That's the reason we don't fight with other churches. I'm going to say that again. That's the reason we don't fight with other churches. If some churches want to open up, we don't fight with them. If they don't want to open up, we don't fight with them. We just want to know, is the message being preached? He said they're preaching the right message. They're just preaching out of wrong motivation. But here's how he ended that whole passage. He said, is, it, is that what they're doing? And are they actually rejoicing over the fact that I'm in prison? And are they taking advantage of my difficulty? Yeah. So what are you going to do, Paul? I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. And in fact, he says it to himself a second time, I will rejoice. See, listen, I'm almost done. Since this part is added to the narrative, it's an implication, watch this, that your greatest place of frustration will often come from other people who you believe you can't control. How many of you today have lost your joy because of somebody else doing something you couldn't control? Well, I wish my husband would fill in the blank. Or if I could ever get my wife to fill in the blank, if I could get my kids to fill in the blank, if I could get my boss, if I could get my employees. But I realize I can't control any of them. So what I do, I stay frustrated, I stay angry. I always have this tension built up on the inside of me. Here's what Paul said. When you have people in your life that you can't control, here's what you need to do. He lists three things. You can write them down real quick. He said, here's the three things I did. I found joy in the moment. Just rejoice. You say, that's simplistic. Yeah, yeah, it's very basic. Because what it says is, I trust God more than I trust people. He said, I will rejoice. I found joy in the moment. Second thing he said is, will you pray for me? He's saying, will you enter into the journey with me by calling on the one who really can change everything? I wonder what would happen today if we didn't grumble but prayed. I wonder what would happen if we spent as much time calling on the name of the Lord as we did watching CNN, Fox News, and all the news broadcasts. He said, would you just enter into the journey with me by praying with me? And finally, he said this. He said, the way I get through people I can't control and circumstances I can't control is he said, I trust the supply of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit empowers me to do things I didn't know I could do. We talk about this house being a house that's spirit-empowered people. You know, sometimes we think that means that we have exuberant worship or maybe we operate in the gifts of, of the Spirit where we have supernatural languages or prophetic words. But can I tell you, sometimes the greatest work of the Holy Spirit in your life is not Him giving you a spiritual language and interpretation. Sometimes the greatest work of the Holy Spirit is giving you the ability to get up and keep going when you're in the midst of an environment you can't control, but you keep your heart right, your mind right, your attitude right, because He enables you to do things you didn't know you could do. So Paul said, I learned how to rejoice because he's going to finish. I learned how to rejoice because what I can't control, I can trust. And hold on to your seat because this is the last one. 
He said, I learned to rejoice because either way, I win. They were talking to him saying, Paul, you're headed to execution. You're going to die. Do you know what's amazed me? Can I talk to you for just a minute? You know what's amazed me in this situation is how many Christians are afraid to die. You act like it's never going to happen. The reality is, is that nobody watching me right now has any idea what tomorrow holds. There's people that watched last Sunday that were in their 40s that had no idea before this Sunday the end of their life would come. But the thing that made the early Christians so powerful is they lost their fear of death. I know people that won't even, they wouldn't even walk in their yard right now because they're afraid they're going to get a virus that might kill them. I understand your need for safety, but can I tell you something? What I don't understand is your fear of death. Because the thing that Jesus came to break and the most intense thing he came to break was not the power of sin. He broke that off, but to break the fear of death. Because what held the world in captivity was I'll kill you. What's the most intimidating thing you can say to somebody? Break in their house and tell them either you give me your stuff or I will kill you. People are easily manipulated by the fear of death. I've, I've preached in 78 nations of the world, 79 nations of the world. And people said, aren't you afraid to go? I said, you know what? Early in my life, I was afraid because I had to wrestle through some things. And one of them is my life is not my own. I remember walking down the, the airport with three little girls and my wife and tears running down my face. And I look at them because I was getting ready to go into jungles where there were, were people that were not only not saved, they weren't really civilized. And I'd look at my wife and say, you know what? I won't be able to call you for two or three weeks and I may never see you again. And I looked at my girls and I hugged them, but I recognized this. I can't be afraid to die. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you live trying to avoid death at all cost, you're going to live trying to protect yourself. And if you live trying to protect yourself, you will always run from difficulties. You will always seek the road of least resistance. If you live, is anybody listening to me? Come on, I just hit the check button right now. Yeah, 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 that's right, Bishop. Thumbs up. That's true. If I live to protect myself, watch this. I will always run away from challenges because every challenge may cause me to forfeit dreams or purposes I th I'm thinking about. Hold on. If I seek to protect myself, watch this. I will shrink back from sharing Christ in an environment where I think it'll cause me to be persecuted. I don't want people to misunderstand me. Listen, when the early apostles, when they saw Jesus resurrected from the dead, when they met him, Peter that 50 days earlier had run from a little girl 
A girl at a campfire said, you're one of them. And he said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I don't know him. I don't know him. He ran 50 days earlier. What changed in 50 days? You say, well, he got filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he did get filled with the Holy Spirit. But here's what really changed. He saw the risen Christ. He saw that the power of death had been broken. And so when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were in the streets getting saved, he was no longer intimidated by people because he recognized killing me can't control me because really killing me, you do me a favor. If you kill me, I get to go be with the Lord. But if I get to be here, it's so that Christ can be continually spread throughout the earth. We don't think that way anymore. So the apostles could go into cities and turn them upside down because they weren't afraid of dying. Either way, I win. So here's what Paul said. He said, if I had a choice, I'd probably go because I'd get to be with the Lord. But if I stay, watch this. He said, if I stay, if I'm here on the earth next week, then here's why I'm here. I'm here to help you in your progress and to encourage your joy as you walk in faith. In other words, don't miss this. If you have a choice and if you're suffering the most and you have to make a decision, make sure you do what's best for the people you love the most. See, if he'd have been selfish, he'd have said, let me go see Jesus. But because he was selfless, he said, I'll stay here in this prison and take this pressure for your sake. Mamas, daddies, listen to me. Are your kids learning faith coming out of this trial? Or are they learning fear? Is your marriage being strengthened because of faith in God? Or is it beginning to disintegrate because fear is beginning to take away everything you can control? I know people were like, if I don't hurry up and get out of here, I'm going to go nuts. You know what? Nobody likes being locked down. I'm not, I'm not celebrating that. What I'm saying is the one who's in you is greater. I listened to a friend of mine who had a man come up and share his story. Get ready. I just want us to sing. Listen, I, I, this guy was a 40-year-old. He was a physician's assistant. He had three kids, and he shared his story. At 40 years of age, his wife contacted an incurable disease. And in a matter of seven months, she died. And this physician's assistant is standing, giving his story. He's talking. He said, you know what? We were married for 18 years. And he said, the last year of our life, the last year that an incurable disease was taking her life from her was the best year of our marriage. And my friend interviewing her said, interviewing him said, how can you say that? He said, because when we were dating, her father was very strict about certain things. When I brought her home, he always wanted to make sure I walked her to the door to know that she was home. 
He said, so for seven months, while my wife's life was leaving her body, I got the privilege of walking her home. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. Either way, say bishop these are such uncertain times you know what the times are uncertain but your life doesn't have to be I'm afraid that we've let the atmosphere and the environment shape our lives the atmosphere is uncertain but your life can be very certain the whole book of Philippians the other word that Paul uses more than rejoice the second most used word in that book of 104 verses is this I'm confident I'm confident I'm confident I want you to have confidence I want you to have confidence that Christ lives in me and if he lives in me nothing in this world can rob me of what he intended to do in my life if you don't know him personally, listen, if you only know God through church relationships, you probably aren't very certain right now. But if you know God through Christ, your certainty, your confidence is at a whole nother level. I want to pray for those today who don't know Christ. If you don't know Jesus, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. On the, on the screen, they're going to put on there things you can do right now. There are people that will pray with you. I want to send you a book called Fresh Start, but I want you to acknowledge I pray today. I, I need that certainty. I need the certainty. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says you can know that you've passed from death to life. You can know your sins are forgiven. You can know that your life is hid in Christ. Would you pray this simple prayer with me? Say, Jesus. I invite you to come into my heart today. Live in me. And I'm going to live in you. Because of the cross and your resurrection from the dead, I today, I today am no longer afraid. No longer afraid. I, trust you. I trust you. Be my Lord and Savior. My Lord and Savior. In, your name I pray. in your name I pray. Amen, amen. and amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you please let somebody right now on one of the chat lines know so I can get you information that can help you in a fresh start and a new walk. I want to pray for every believer. I'm going to speak a word into your life today. I'm going to speak that the fear of death will leave you. And that while you're here, you'll live life till it's fullest. And you'll not live trying to protect yourself. Because you can't protect yourself. You cannot control your world. But the Holy Spirit in you is so powerful that no matter what your world presents you, He's greater. So, Father, I pray today that there'll be a download from heaven. I pray today for people that's watching all over America and all over the world. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you will cause the Holy Spirit of God to, to flow like a mighty river on the inside of them. I command the spirit of fear 
to go off of their life. Even the fear of death. I thank you that we will live life to its fullest. We will live the abundant life that's in Jesus. And today, I'm asking you to fill their life with your presence. Fill your life, their life with your joy. We choose today to rejoice. Because either way, we win. We win. Would you let somebody know? This service is going to be played multiple times, but somebody has got to stand up in America and speak to the church and say, we got to quit living just to get back to a service that meets my needs, and i got to start living to release Jesus everywhere I go. Church, I love you. Next week, we come in on the property, outdoors. I can't wait to see you. Would you join with us as we get ready to close? They're going to sing as we go out. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he lift his countenance upon you. May he show you his grace, his favor, his abounding love in all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.